welcome to our podcast. We are the Kinotomic, a movie podcast that bridges the silly nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I am your host Danny and with me as always is my co-host Nick. Good afternoon. The premise of our show is very simple. For each week we have carefully picked two films which we think have things in common. We shall then discuss them to find what their common traits are. One is my suggestion based on my particular area of expertise, Golden Age of Hollywood, as well as the pre-COVID era, and the other is chosen by my co-host, which is from their specialty. So that'll be anything from 1970s uh, New Hollywood through to the current uh, blockbuster era that we're living in. The only rule is both picks of the week have to be first time viewing for the other. This week we have a special episode uh, focusing on war films and we have paired um, the 1997 film um, Starship Troopers directed by Paul Verhoeven uh, with um, the King Vidor epic, war epic, um, silent war epic, um, The Big Parade. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was... When when we put this suggestion together, when we put this pairing together, it was one. It was the one where there was most apprehension between the two of us whether they would fit. Um, purely because of the genre involved in both. One is like we said, a silent war epic, um, directed by King Vidor, and the other is um, you know, a science fiction action film from 1997 however we'll get into it it became increasingly obvious watching both films that this was this was a, a an inspired pairing in my opinion i agree i agree um yeah it's 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 not the obvious pairing um i was a bit reluctant at first because i thought what is what's a science fiction film doing being compared to a silent film about war about yeah anti-war so to speak but we'll get to that in a bit um but i did i actually i had very low expectations when i when i started watching starship troopers um and it came it came too close it came to uh, very very soon it, it made me realize that I had to be very relaxed watching this film and not judge it too harshly and not be too nitpicky about it because it didn't actually take itself too seriously uh, having said that uh, I had great fun watching it um, I did like the fact that it didn't take itself too seriously I saw it in the same kind of vein as Con Air although it's nowhere near as good as Con Air, in my opinion. That's, con- that's um, very, like very the- controversial, in my opinion, but okay. <laughs> I know, I just, I love Con Air. It's my favourite uh, action flick, I think. Um, I love the recurring joke with, would you like to know more? The, the in- uh, I thought that was The very- infomercials. That was very well done. Yeah, that was very well done. I just loved, I loved it. I was like, would you like to know more? I'm like, no. <laughs> um, I felt it was a bit of its era. 
1990s. But I felt it also aged slightly better than most uh, other 1990s films. films. Um, Clancy Brown is always a good, uh, a pleasure to watch, uh, although he is rather typecast, or was rather typecast, before being cast as the baddie in the greatest Marvel movie ever made, Thor Ragnarok. But yeah, I love, uh, I love seeing him just shout at people, because that's what he does best. Um, yeah, um, other, other thoughts on it? I felt it was very Star Warsy at times, a bit too icky. Uh, it had really good ideas, um, satirizing the concept of a military state. Um, I thought it was interesting how they dehumanized the enemy as nothing but bugs, although clever bugs. Uh, good CGI throughout. Um, but yeah, I thought there was a bit too much testosterone. Um, egos the size of cathedrals, to quote my favorite devil, film devil. Um, yeah, I mean, that thing with count down to victory, um, as if it was obvious they would have victory. Um, uh, I don't think there was much of a story. So in terms of synopsis, there's not much to say rather than... Um, I don't know, what would you say with the synopsis of this film? So the synopsis I've got um, is that... Um, so, set in the future, the story follows a young soldier named Johnny Rico and his exploits in the mobile infantry. Rico's military career progresses from recruit to non-commissioned officer and finally to officer against the backdrop of an interstellar war between mankind and an arachnoid species known as the Bugs. Which kind of, it's very simple, really. It's just about um, a, a guy going through the ranks and to kill some bugs in yeah. space. For me, I, I, I thought there wasn't much of a story. I mean, yeah, he, he goes higher, higher in ranks. Even though at the beginning you see him that he's not doing very, very well in school. Uh, and that's kind of like the joke. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought the acting was rather wooden. Uh, Denise Richards, I don't think she's believable as the best pilot in the galaxy. I'm not saying she's not smart, she's just not convincing as a like clever, brilliant person. I thought that everyone was too beautiful and too waxy like looking to be a credible fighter like with true grit that you kind of want to see. Um, Dina Meyer's character, Dizzy, um, Felt a bit like a puppy, always following Rico wherever he goes. I felt, yeah, that was a bit cringe. Uh, again, character motivation was slightly lacking. I mean, he Rico goes, enrolls into military just to follow Denise Richards' character, Carmen. And he, once he gets there, he gets dumped because she's career woman. Um, and then towards the end, when he sleeps with Dizzy, who followed him all this time, he sleeps with her because his lieutenant told him to? The dialogue is also very, very cheesy, but I guess it's okay, because it, the film tries to make it clear that we're not, we're not meant to take it seriously. I mean, towards the end, when it's alright because I got to have you, uh, it's taking, like, teenage infatuation to... And, 
obsession and sort of stalkery to a whole new level. Um, one last thing for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not. I suppose I'm not spoiling much, but I kind of am. Towards the end, where they capture the big brain, brainy bug, I felt a bit sad because it's. It says that they, they sort of do it. They have a celebrity scene where the doctor says that, oh, it's afraid. I just felt a bit sad because it, it's also, it, it's a good metaphor for like how the enemy must feel all the time. But it's just like, and everyone's cheering, which is ridiculous. It just, I don't know. It, it was a good metaphor for like how humans like conquer other nations and other species and how they try to sort of take pleasure in dominating them. Uh, but overall, it was a good experience. I enjoyed the film. It's a good, yeah, it's a good action flick. Over to you. So Starship Troopers. Um, it's a film that me and my brother probably watched on repeat on VHS. Way too young. Um, much younger than we really should have been. I mean, this is an 18. Um, like this is This is an 18 film, and... You know, we shouldn't have been watching this. Um, so thanks, parents, for for not caring. Um, <laughs> no, in all seriousness, this is a yeah. There's there's action... nudity and there's bits flying. Yeah, blood. And... There's there's yeah. There's a, yeah. This this is not a film suitable for preteens. Um, but I'm so thankful that I got to watch this on VHS um, as much as I did because it is, in my it is it's hilarious, um, in atten- intentionally funny, um, it is intentionally gory. It is a teenage boy's idea of what a sci-fi action film should be, and it's smarter than its surface level dictates um so the starship troopers um is based on a robert heinlein book of the same name uh robert heinlein being a science fiction author uh 50s 60s um he wrote starship troopers and it's a very right-wing nationalistic view on um the military in in the future um it is incredibly right-wing um and it is very it takes it it's a very very serious book it's a very very serious book um aimed at aimed at you know teenage boys pretty much as in war is good because of these basically the, the you know the protection of the nation all of the things that the film kind of portrays and satirizes um, it is this satirical element that I feel that writer Ed Neumeyer um, and Paul Verhoeven kind of, they went with it. Um, they saw the satirical element of the book um, that wasn't really there and decided to take what they did in Robocop, because uh, they worked together on Robocop, where that film kind of satirizes uh, commercialism, police, law, this time they did it with military the military and you know what it means to go into the military what it means to be a citizen 
I don't know if you know much about Paul Verhoeven. No, I don't. Um, so he is a Dutch uh, filmmaker. Um, he's like 81 now. Um, so he, he, he born in 1938 uh, in the Netherlands. Grew up in Nazi-occupied, um, Nazi-occupied Europe, um, and kind of came about with. He came into to Hollywood at the same era as like other European film di- directors kind of come over to Hollywood. So uh, I think of filmmakers like uh, Jan de Bont, who shot Die Hard and ended up directing Speed. Uh, Roland Emmerich uh, with Stargate and then, you know, Independence Day, which came out a year previous to, to Starship Troopers. Um, so he very much has he very much has a European sensibilities um that hollywood kind of gravitated towards in the in the late 80s and 90s um to kind of refresh their blockbusters as it were to to kind of bring a new eye really um uh, that's my view on it um so he has this um anti-war stance um uh, is very you know his his films are uh they're some of them are like graphically violent some of them are overly sexual like showgirls is is such a shock shocky trash film but it's it's um like overtly sexual and it's some people say it's a masterpiece some people says it's 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 terrible um and then you know you, you get films like you know basic instinct again a film that is overtly sexual um but then he you know he goes into serious drama so you know black book um which is about which is set in in world war Two, very very serious drama about a woman who's in a, a spy in, in world war Two. um so he's a man of many multitudes is what i'm trying to say and starship troopers is what he did like i said what he's done on robocop uh, with Ed Newmeyer, he's just taking it to to like a, another level, as it were. Um, you said uh, it's nice to see Clancy Brown. Um, him and Michael Ironside. I mean, it's it's a, always a pleasure to see Michael Ironside. Um, both ways to kind of bring this authenticity and uh, quality to the film in their supporting roles. The way Michael Ironside tells the class that violence is good you know violence should be applauded you know you should believe it you know i i was i can imagine myself being sat in that classroom believing every single word of what he was saying um so you mentioned about the cast that they're almost too good looking Yes, I mean, I didn't mention anything about, um, what's his name, Casper Van Doren, because I just tried to not think about him too much. But I, I thought everyone was too good looking and too pretty to be actual believable as, a, as, as troopers. Yeah, so this is intentional. Um, oh, I'm they sure. Are all, yeah, no, no, I mean, in, t- in terms of the fact that these are all the main cast um maybe with the exception of jake Busey, are all tv actors so they were all on places uh shows like melrose place um 90210 um obviously neil patrick harris 
at the time was most famous for for Dougie Hauser, MD. Um, so these are all t the main cast are all TV actors um, because they couldn't afford big budget stars. Um, so the big names just didn't want to go anywhere near the pro didn't want to do the project. So they went the other direction and cast TV actors to a to save some money. But there was also an intention in there because these are these are uh, um, they're actors that aren't great. Um, like I th I think that's and it is the point. I mean their lines are too on the nose. It almost comes across as melodrama at times. Um, you know they're good looking, but they're unrecognizable. You know if if you hadn't watched any tv in the mid 90s in america you wouldn't you wouldn't catch it so you know they're picture perfect tv stars with chiseled chins and broad smiles um and it's it's there because it's meant to hammer home this idea of a perfect race um you know being decimated by an enemy that is consistently underestimated um so yeah so i, I kind of want to finish off with starship troopers just having a quick um thing about the way it was perceived at the time one of my worries with with giving you this film is that you weren't going to get it <laughs> um I, there are a few people i know that have seen it and don't get it um they don't understand the satire they just see it as a cheesy sci-fi action film that has no substance whatsoever when in fact it, it does have that um they completely miss its anti-fascist message they miss the anti-right-wing message they miss the anti-war message um you know i read some reviews uh from 1997 about starship troopers um they're quite interesting um so one of them is from a guy called uh, was from a guy called james sanford um he said that the acting by all concerned makes the cast of melrose place look like the royal shakespeare company all statuesque model types bark out lines like everyone fights no one quits and kill them kill them all with clueless conviction and which is really funny because he missed the point that the actors some of them were actually in melrose place yeah um roger ebert uh sometimes he was wrong he loved robocop by the way he understood its satire and he kind of, by the reading his review he kind of saw the satire but didn't kind of get the nuances of it mm. so he said he said to have said um its action characters and values are pitched to 11 year old science fiction fans that makes it true to its source um so Eber in his review all seems to criticize the cast um you know almost the same kind of lines you know again missing the point um that it, it is is meant it portrays war is this amazing thing the infomercials where the kids are, are stomping bugs um you know are, are you doing your part you know that them handing out the guns this is ridiculous it is really funny because 
it's really silly to see a kid being given a machine gun and then the you know the adults laughing and smiling um the film is incredibly funny it is got every, every part of the, the you know the extreme violence in it is always played with black humor um one se- yeah one sequence you've got is um you know the recurring joke in the training camp is medic um where <laughs> it yeah starts off with a guy who's arm gets broken and clancy brown shouts medic and then jake Busey gets a knife through his hand they shout medic then when they do the live fire exercise the the soldier takes his helmet off and then gets like his head blown apart by bullets casper van dean screams and shouts medic (laughs) um as if the the helmet was to do any good and he does. He does the same. Um, Paul Verhoeven did the same joke in RoboCop, where uh, ED one oh nine, I think it is, the big robot, police robot, pushes somebody out the window, and the guy falls down the skyscraper to his death, and someone shouts, "Somebody call nine one one." Um, <laughs> because people don't understand the severity of the violence. Yeah. Um. You know, like I said, the extreme violence is always played with black humor. Um, yeah, I I really love this film, and like I said, it, it's 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 increasingly misunderstood. There was an article from the Atlantic uh, that came out in, back in like 2013, which I can link to in the show notes, where um, somebody, one of the uh, writers. Um, a film critic writes that it is the most mis one of the mis- most misunderstood movies ever, um, because like I said, people saw the fascist message and saw it as a, you know, uh, an advertisement for nationalism. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure if the current U.S. president saw it, saw this, he would, you know, see himself as as. Uh, as the leader of the of the art of the, the 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 army um yeah so um how do you think it ties in with the other film that we'll, we'll be discussing uh, on the show the big parade the anti-war um message is so ingrained in sasha troopers and then when reading about the big parade um it predated all quiet on the western front as a war film that didn't glorify violence or glorify war and it showed the the human cost of war uh starship troopers did this obviously in 1997 came out the same year as um saving private ryan um so yeah like I said, like I said at the start of this, comparing the Big Parade and Starship Troopers at first was a worrying, odd choice. But I'm glad we've done it because they share so much. They do. Um, and on top of that, they share a line. Um, at the end of the film uh, of Starship Troopers, they do one of these infomercial advertisements 
where they kind of reintroduce the cast as in their ultimate forms, as it were, you know. Um, so Casper Van Dien, Johnny Rico, he turns to the camera and then turns to the uh, soldiers behind him and shouts, you apes want to live forever. Um, one of the most iconic lines in the film. And at one point in the big parade, Slim turns to, um, is it Buzz? Bud? Yeah, Bud. Bud, I think Bud, Bud and yeah. Jim and says, you don't want to live forever, do you? Yeah, it's true. Um, and I, I, I cackled when I, I saw that because these films are, are separated by 70 odd years and they both have the same message yeah um so yeah we're, we're now on to the big parade yeah uh, i'll give you um, a quick synopsis and then i'll ask you what you thought of the film um so there's three men from three different backgrounds they in america they go off to fight in world war one when they get to France, the main character, Jimmy, played by John Gilbert, uh, falls in love with a French girl, Melisande, played by René Adoré. Uh, the film is directed by uh, King Vidor, and I will talk a bit about him in a moment. What did you think of the film, Nick? I'm always worried when I watch silent movies um, that... I'm going to be exhausted by them or I'm not going to be pulled in because they don't have, you know, dialogue or Foley's, you know, you know, the sound of, of the action. Um, every single time I sit down to watch a silent film, I have the same doubts and every single time I'm proven wrong. Um, whether that's because I'm watching the right kind of silent films, <laughs> I have no idea. I have, I've yet to watch one where I've, that hasn't been deemed a classic, as it were. So this is two and a half hours long, by the way. So how did you fare? It didn't drag. <laughs> um, the film is quite ne nicely kind of. It's in two parts almost. Uh, it's, it is almost at the halfway point where Jim goes to war. Mm. Um, so it's very structured it's structured in a way that the romance that you have in the first half um plays a significant part in the second part um so like the, the tragedy of war um wouldn't work um without the love story between melisande and jim um you know their romance is really compelling and it and it needed to be there that at no point did it feel like oh this is fat as it were that could easily be cut um i never quest found myself questioning the idea of them falling in love um which is really a testament to how rene adore or adore had his own last name rene rene adore uh, adore yeah it's adore. The, the adored rene translation and um yes yeah, testament to how her and john gilbert are able to express it through their acting um you know their gum scene the scene between them with the gum that was incredibly charming um but the sequence that had me kind of hook line and sinker was was where she runs to find him before she before he leaves um you know she runs away upset because he finds out about the what she finds out about the woman back home 
and then you know she has second thoughts and tries to run to find him before he goes off to war um you know she finds him after looking through masses and masses of soldiers i mean the amount of extras in this film jesus um <laughs> indeed <laughs> and then she finds him and then tries to pull the cart or and then slips and ends up being dragged by it and then he kind of throws her his watch ne a necklace and then I think it was shoe? his dog tags. If I'm dog not tags. It might have been his dog tags. And there's a shoe. There's a shoe there. And there's a shoe. <laughs> um, which is foreshadowing. Um, yes, indeed. <laughs> and, then, and then after all the trucks are kind of... Then there's a shot of the trucks, all the trucks together on the road. Um, there is a cut. There's a single shot of her in the middle of the road destitute and alone and then there's a fade to black and then it's the title card of the big parade basically um that that shot i mean it's not there for very long and i it's the one of the best shots in the film of her just alone in the road like that kind of just stuck with me mm. um after this you know the film kind of opens up the scale kind of grows i mean i was quite impressed by the size of the shots um you know I, I shouldn't be because you know i know that films film you know early cinema you know they had these grand massive sets or they had these massive locations but you kind of almost go in with an expectation that it, they're quite small that you know these early films you know they don't have the technology that we have so therefore they should be less impressive and less um uh what's the word majestic yeah majesty yeah because they you know they don't have the same technology that we do yeah but again you realistic know, i mean it was quite realistic didn't you think yes yeah um you know and then you know the three men together you know that they go into war and you almost get this feeling that all three of them are going to be changed by it um and you know are. jim is yeah jim is angered he's bitter he's a changed man physically and mentally bud and slim you know spoiler alert for a hundred year old film but both of them die yeah um and like I said, you know, the fact that it shares that line of, you know, you, you don't want to live forever, do you? Yeah. This is an, this is, you know, it's an anti-war film straight off the bat. Um, There are shots in it which recall. So there's almost like there's these marches and they're marching. Mar it's pretty much marching to death and just walking through the woods and being slaughtered and there's no reaction to the men falling it's this consistent marching it's this consistent walking and what to did, their deaths what did that make you think of so black adder yeah yeah um i was going to go with a different reference so the walking of the refugees and the soldiers you know the parade that marches they're they kind of remind me of sequences that we we see in in the seventh seal yeah um where death is leading you know these these victims of the plague yeah um 
the dance of death the dance of death yeah and it's it's really tragic and like you said it kind of hammers home the fact that war is bad obviously yeah um and then when we get the ending where jim and melisandre kind of come together you know it's a ha it's a happy ending but it's not as it were because he like you said he's a changed man her home is destroyed you know it's not a sappy ending it's not a manipulative ending it's yeah. it's apt um it's a it's perfect a it's almost a perfect ending it's it is a, real a realistic it's, ending it's a very realistic ending he's he's lost a leg um she's ha she has to wor work work the fields to to keep food on the table um he's went through hell to get to her um yeah, so he had he he went back to America, but then he had to turn come back to her because he loved her. So it's kind of it. it I think it, it it's a perfect ending, like you said, between like the effects of war and and how strong love is, and yeah, ultimately. But that's yeah. the, that's the beauty of King Vidor. Um, I have a, I have a, a a few things to say about him because I think he's he's an incredible director. Yeah, so last on last episode, um, in this introduction, I said that you were a King Vidor expert, and you turned and said, oh, I don't know about that. I like him, but I don't see myself as an expert. When reading behind the curtain a little bit, I got a message through when Danny was re-watching The Big Parade, where she said, and I quote, yes, I am an expert on King Vidor. <laughs> <laughs> um, fine. I'm not really. I mean, I mean, I don't have the level of expertise on King Vidor the the way I do with Buster Keaton. I mean, that's that's the thing that I know most about, um, or or the pre code era. But I do. I did real without realizing that I had accumulated a, a a number of films that I really really enjoyed, and they were all directed by King Vidor. Um, I'm going to sort of start talking a bit about him now. Um. It's interesting how he, his films always focus on individuals and their role in society, um, but he always, he, he, he doesn't, there's no formula there. He characterizes them as either part of society or, or working against it, usually in, in their quest to better themselves or transform themselves. Uh, having, in saying that, I think of, of two very different films. One is kind of pro-socialist and one is, very anti-socialist. So, for those who haven't seen, The Fountainhead is based on the uh, Ayn Rand novel, which is very individualistic, very anti-communist, anti anti-socialist um, novel. I know um, it didn't do very well, and most people consider Gary Cooper miscast in this film, but I really, really enjoyed it, and I had newfound respect for, for Gary Cooper when I saw it. And the other film that is very in stark contrast with The Fountainhead is called Our, Our Daily Bread, which is a film about groups of people pulling together and overcom overcoming the obstacles imposed on them um, by the Great Depression. So it's basically, we are starving to death, uh, let's pull together and make, make a commune and just work together and feed each other and sort of exchange services. If, I, if I'm a good stone, if, if I'm a good stonemason, you're you're a carpenter i can help you build a fireplace or a foundation on your house and you can help me with the frame of the house because you you know how to do wood 
I only know, know how to do stone. So it was a very, very good film about, you know, putting, putting efforts together. Um, he, uh, Vidor did, um, he dabbled with melodrama. Stella Dallas is the ultimate early um, Hollywood melodrama. If you've not seen Stella Dallas, you're in for a treat. Um, Jewel in the Sun, another film that I really, really liked. Uh, apparently, it's one of Martin Scorsese's favorite films. And one that had almost flaunted the production code with its rather salacious love story between Gregory Peck and Jennifer Jones. Um, yeah. And uh, one film that I saw recently that I didn't really even realize it was by King Vidor is called Beyond the Forest. It's Betty Davis' final film with the Warner Brothers. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's apparently it's considered a bad film, but I, it's very enjoyable. Um, and last but not least, um, uh, two, uh, the, uh, last but not least, Hallelujah, which is Vito's first talkie, has an all-black cast, which was super rare in 1929 when this film came out. It was long considered to be the very first all-black cast film in Hollywood, but um, the, the, the Hearts and Dixie was, was the first because it was released earlier that year. Um, and yeah, it's, it's an incredible film, uh, and I, yeah, I invite you to watch it. It's just incredible. Um, yeah, uh, King Vidor entered into, uh, the Guinness world of records and has having the longest career as a film director, uh, beginning with Hurricane in Galveston, 1913, and ending with a documentary, The Metaphor, 1980. So that's 67 years of, of career. Um, yeah. So the big parade, um, it's, I think it's, I'm right in saying that it was the first epic war film ever, like in terms of the magnitude of, of the production. Um, I know it's the most successful film, silent film of all time. I think it cost about $200,000 to make and it made over 22 million, which was unheard of. I thought that, um, that record of the most successful silent movie was the birth of Na birth of a nation. I've I read so I I swear I read somewhere you probably you know I may be wrong but I read somewhere that the birth of a nation was the most successful one. Um, I don't know. I think I'll have to double check, but I I, I looked at in a few different sources that said um because I think what happened with the big parade it was on, it was in cinemas for over two years um birth of a nation i think was pulled from different cinemas so i'm not sure he could have made that much money at the box office given that in 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 quite it was boycotted in quite a few states in america because of overtly racist content so um yeah i'm not 100 percent sure so i might be wrong um, but from what I know, um, this film was on, was at the box office for a very, was at uh, in cinemas for a very long time, and it did very well at the box office. Um, funnily enough, um, King Vidor was talked out of because he had a clause in his contract with MGM that he would get a percentage of of the of the um, um, gro gross. Um, from the film but he was talked out of it because they were they estimated that it wouldn't make that much money at the box office so he basically relinquished the percentage of, of um, 
how much money he would make. Um, so basically, he didn't make that much, as much money as he should have, and he had to struggle from... I mean, he didn't have to struggle because he had a very, very good career, but he could have he could have struck it big very early on. I do believe he later on um, opened his own production company, Viking Films, um, but I will have to double check on that. Um, so yeah, back to the big parade. The film, like you said, deglamorizes the war um, from the very, very beginning. Uh, it makes it very anti-war statement throughout. Um, I liked how the main character Jimmy he wants he doesn't even want to go to war. So the film, like you said, deglamorizes the war. Um, it makes I think it makes an anti-war statement throughout from the very beginning. Um, the film begins with um, the character of Jimmy not really caring about going into into France to to fight, but then like like in like in Starship Troopers, because of the girl he likes, he goes into war because she, because she urges him and she makes him um, feel bad about himself if he doesn't go to war to fight with the, with his other comrades. Um, and also there's, there's an interesting scene where his patriotism shows and he feels like this is what I should do for my country. Um, and I think that kind of points out to that it doesn't really matter, you know, it, you know, it's, 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 it's a, like a fake nationalism, patriotism idea. Um, because he's, yeah, he's been pulled in for the, all the wrong reasons, just like with Starship Troopers. Um, but I again, I think it the the deglamorization of the war is is done very well with quite funny slapstick scenes. At times, I felt a bit homoerotic because you have all these boys tumbling and fighting and and but la like slapping each other and just laughing at each other. A bit slapsticky, uh, like when he gets a, a very stale old cake and you can't really cut it. Except with with the sword, um, I I felt that I felt that those slaps sequences, they kind of almost belonged into a different in a different movie, um, like for what was to come later on, like it 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 seemed really out of place for me. Um, I w I would tend to disagree. It, to, to me, it felt like you you tend to see these people in the natural habitat and having fun and being slightly like slightly carefree in the face of war and being human and having want to have fun and want wanting to to have a normal life in which they make fun of each other and they they create friendships um and they just you know get on with life even if they're in on they're at war um, and I think it, it made me think of, of, the, of the beginning of um, The Deer Hunter because in The Deer Hunter you have, you have about half an hour, 40 minutes of, of these people in, the, in, the, in their own community being observed and having, getting on with life, but their lives will never be the same again. And I think that's that what Big Parade is trying to do because you, you have these people who enjoy life and they're full of life and, and energy. But by the end, their lives have all been affected or even ended by 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 the war. Yeah, that that, um, that yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so Jimmy and Melisande's uh, meet cute moment is indeed very cute and very slapsticky as he tries to um, walk around with a barrel over his head. Um, I thought um, a bit of, yeah, there's a bit of voyeurism um, in there as the boys shower and Melisande just pops, it, pops out and she starts laughing at them. Um, so yeah, a bit of female guest thrown in for good measure. Um, also, I uh, just wanted to make a note that the courtship foreplay game might look to, to modern audiences as a bit of sexual harassment because she keeps saying no. But I think it's important to, to remember that women were taught to say no a few times before saying yes, even when they wanted to say yes because they didn't want to be considered easy. So we have to watch these films in the context in which they were made. The whole courtship sequence is quite innocent, uh, it's intimate, it's fun. Uh, it's like you said, the, the gum scene where he teaches her how to chew gum um, was very, very intimate and I thought it was very, very well done. Apparently... Uh no, I was going to say that, um, yeah, the, the courtship stuff and the way that the men kind of almost forced themselves on the women was just a bit... I mean, I kind of had to sit, you know, sit back and, and be like, oh, this is how it was back then. Um, yeah, yeah, you have to have it in the context because they would, yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a funny, a funny story about the gum, the gum scene was that um, it was unscripted, um, and basically, uh, King Vidor um, and John Gilbert realized that. In France, women weren't familiar with, with gum, with chewing gum. Um, and Renée Adoré really did not know how to chew gum and she actually swallowed it. So that that was actually incorporated into the film. That, so she actually like swallowed the gum like accidentally and they just kept that in there? Uh, I think they redid it, but, but they... They basically off screen, off screen. They had this scene, but they I think they redid it in, um, like the next day or. Um, like you said, the the goodbye scene between G Jimmy and Melisande, I thought it was a stroke of genius, uh, and I think King Vido is very very adept at filming crowd scenes, uh, and this scene has everything. It's got tension. It's got dra drama. It's got war. It's got romance. I also found it fascinating how the the, the it, I don't know if you noticed, but the mashup there was a mashup of two different scores that come together in the scene. There's there's violins, but there's also the the war march, and there's there's the romance music mixed up with with the very dramatic war music to heighten our sense of desperation and confusion as to what what's going on whether they will meet or whether he will go onto the front and onto the trenches without having to say goodbye to her. You mentioned about the march through the woods. I thought that was filmed and executed very well. Um, apparently Vidor timed the walk to a metronome um, and I found a quote by him. I timed the march of the US youth into battle and possible death as a slow, measured cadence with the muffled beat of brass drums heralding doom, a metronome to simulate exactly the gait of the soldiers. And I thought that was, that was brilliantly done. 
Um, yeah, um, so that, that whole sequence was very harrowing, as it were. Yeah. You know, usually when we see sol soldiers kind of get gunned down, you know, earlier I mentioned Saving Private Ryan. I actually, in fact, will compare it to Starship Troopers, how, um, you know, soldiers are kind of gunned down and it's it's like a, a violent act. It's chaotic. Um, it is um, ran it's seemingly random. You know, anybody could go you know in, in a chaotic sense whereas this was yeah. like an orderly you know it is like almost slow like you know you see in cartoons where like the hand of death or the hand you know the grim reaper's hand would touch somebody's shoulder and they would fall over dying it just felt like that yeah. where it was like a seemingly this is your time you are chosen to go you know moment of you know that's your time you know fall over and then it's uh, there's a recognition. There's not even a recognition from the soldiers. It's just a carry on from carry on walking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I thought that scene was brilliantly done. Um, and then we, yeah, we have this thing where like human life is very, very like meaningless, and you just yeah, they're all dead, and they're all dead, and they're dying, and there's nothing you can do about it. But at the same time, we're still with these three men, Jimmy, uh, Bud, and Slim. And we have we have to go back to the idea of camaraderie as well as humanity um, as depicted in the trench scenes. Um, and I'm I'm thinking especially when when Jimmy is stuck in the trenches uh, after he's tried to get Slim back, uh, but then he gets stuck in the trenches with a dying enemy soldier, and he once he he can't stab him anymore because he knows he's wounded and he will die very soon uh and then he gives him his last cigarette and helps him smoke his last cigarette and i thought that was a brilliant portrayal of 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 how what what the actual cost of war is because you you take these people and they don't hate each other they're just people and they just fight for something that you they, they might not even understand but they just have to they're in this moment and they're not enemies they're just people and yeah i think that it was very 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 well done um that sequence with the german soldier with them just kind of like he's gonna die anyway so you know they they kind of it just gives them you know that it's like this that was all that you know it's always how how world war one is kind of played in the history books is that it, it you know it was this conflict that shouldn't have happened because it was just you know it it was just lords and kings deciding that they wanted to go to war um yeah, exactly. and you know the 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 normal man was kind of just thrust in the middle of it and you you know you hear you know you hear stories that you know i you know of soldiers that would look at each other from opposing sides and literally see themselves you know see somebody that yeah. is just the same age as them and i mean to compare it with uh, a world war one film that we've talked about in the past uh 1917 there is a similar sequence where a german soldier falls out the sky and the two our two leads kind of pull him from the wreckage and this german soldier is probably going to die anyway but instead of having the moment where they are in the same boat and they kind of you know the the german and the and the the um english you know are the same 
Mendes does something different where he he actively has the German act out of spite or act out of anger and act out of almost evil and have him stab you know our, one of our leads spoiler alert for 1917 and it kind of removes the tragedy yeah of the yeah. situation of world war one which is what the big parade does um yeah. so you know I, it's interesting that we've seen two films you know i've seen two films recently that cover the same subject same conflict but are done in different ways different ways yeah. um one no, yeah, one I obviously agree. you know um, i've spoken about saying i'm not a fan of 1917 and you know the big parade it it does it does the conflict and it does it with respect and it's a very yeah the the, the death sequences are very respectful um and there's not it doesn't put the finger on this person is evil or that person is evil it is very matter of fact as in these people are the same you know they're they're in the yeah. conflict for the same reasons and for that you know it should be respected both sides something which you know mendes just doesn't do yeah good observation uh i thought yeah i just i really really loved uh the big parade i thought i think it's it's an incredible incredibly well-made film and i think it stood the test of time uh i was moved by it uh, i thought the acting was very good throughout uh, I mean, you could believe Jimmy and Madison falling in love, and you could believe them having this connection, as well as the, as the, the the three comrades, the three boys who go off to her and they just find themselves being friends, even though they're from very different backgrounds. Um, um, I just yeah, I love. It's a good example of John Gilbert's acting skills, showing us why he was such a big star of the silent era um and yeah um just uh, just a w one final thought for me regarding john gilbert many people will think that he couldn't make the transition to sound um very well but he had i think the reason his career um ended very shortly after the um after the talkies came was um more to do with him and his um like personal problems i think he had a problem with alcohol and i think he was quite sickly as well um there's a film there's a 1933 film uh, queen christina in which he plays a spanish ambassador and you could see that he had he had a good voice um i grew up thinking that he didn't make the, tr the, the transition to sound because his voice wasn't suited to his screen persona but that is not true he had a really good uh, talking voice um it just it was other other circumstances that prevented him from becoming a big star of the 30s and 40s it is yeah i mean but, yeah. doing reading on on john gilbert and Rene, it is really tragic that both of them died you know one uh, Rene died in 1933 john gilbert in 1936 um yeah yeah and yeah it's we spoke we spoke last night well i spoke to me and danny spoke last night um over messaging about how there's a, almost a romanticization of pre-code films and films from classic hollywood um True. and it is you know this this that kind of romanticization like for me 
is there because of you hear stories of like John Gilbert and Rene um and you hear stories about Greta Garbo and all these yeah. silent film stars and and it's like a you know like a, you know not a nostalgia not a nostalgic kind of wish but almost a um life was simpler back then kind of kind of thing like you know if you know what i mean i think i think i think i don't think life was simpler back then i just think that they didn't have all the tools to render stories as complicated as something like starship troopers i think the imagination was there and i think the complexity of life was still there um but i don't i, I think the the medium and the the art form of of cinema ha was still quite young um but i do agree that of the of the nostalgia and the romanticism uh, that we look uh, that we feel when, when we look at old films so speaking of old films uh what have we got on for next week um very artfully done um yeah so next week we changing up the genres again we're going to be talking about uh the kid uh 1921 american silent comedy drama film from uh, Jack, uh, charlie chaplin and we will be looking at it with et the extraterrestrial 1982 steven spielberg uh a few episodes ago i mentioned how i was going to embarrass danny um because every now you know i always get this gasp of you know amazement that i've never seen a, a certain star last week i think it was john gilbert this week i'm going to tell you that i've never seen the charlie chaplin film and i will tell you that i've never seen et and um which is absolutely amazing to me seeing as we've spoken about jaws and spielberg quite a lot I just I never got around to seeing it, uh, and I think this is a good opportunity yeah. opportunity for for me to see it. No judgment. No, uh, we're there's gonna go back. This is a safe space. There is no judgment here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hang on. I didn't. I did not agree to that. <laughs> um, it's also quite out that we're talking about ET. Um, this is honestly purely accidental that we are talking about ET. Um, and we got the news yesterday. When we're, we're as recording this, um, we got the news yesterday that Alan uh, Deveo, the cinematographer for ET, passed away uh, due to uh, COVID nineteen related illness. Um, incredibly sad news. Um, I will talk about when our, in our next recording how ET is a there, there. You know, for me, there is a reason why the Amblin logo is what it is, um, and I will I will definitely go into that um so it's incredibly sad news um my thoughts and prayers are out for his family and for all that knows or for all that knew him um and also it's quite coincidental as well that we're talking about the kid so soon after charlie chaplin's birthday as it was yesterday as well yeah yeah um yeah uh, condolences to to the cinematographer's um family so yeah um We'll talk about, like I said, E.T. and uh, The Kid next week. Um, Danny, where can we find you on the internet? So, uh, I'm on Twitter at 
Kino Joan, and my website is kinojoan.co.uk. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Nick S. Chandler and on my website superatomovision.com. Uh, you can email us um, at kinotomic at gmail.com. Um, please rate us, review us um, on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever you're listening on, please, please give us a rating of a review. Uh, we've already got um, a review already. Um, I read it from from on the Apple Podcast website, and that made me very, very happy reading that. So thank you, whoever wrote that. Um, it's very kind words and um, encouraging as well that we are actually reaching an audience. Um, so it is a goodbye from me. Goodbye from me too. Thank you for listening.